When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Wilson going to the air. Chased out by Daquan Jones. Wilson looking in zone, wide open, touchdown! First NFL touchdown for Zach Wilson, and it goes to Corey Davis. Down the middle, he's got it. Elijah Moore, the 20, the 10, the 5, touchdown. Jones has just caught flat-footed. What an excellent, excellent round. He'll hit immediately got the handoff. You know that's the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the playlikeajet.com digital studio. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And it is time to get to know your foe, Jacksonville Jaguars edition. Jets and Jaguars are going to be playing each other at MetLife Stadium the day after Christmas this Sunday. And so to break down the Jacksonville Jaguars for us, I've got one of the great writers from Generation Jag also covers the NFL draft for them. So I'm going to ask him a question about what the Jaguars might be looking to do in the draft because it could impact the Jets. We've been talking about what the Jets are likely to do and how many of us would like to see them get one of the top two pass rushers, either Kayvon Thibodeau out of Oregon or Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. But Jordan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And what a Christmas present that is. Jaguars <laughs> Jets battle of two of the worst franchises over the last few years in the NFL. Uh, I, I guess we've all been on the naughty list this year, huh? Needless to say, I would imagine, and I haven't checked yet, that there are going to be D-team announcers on this game. You're not going to be getting the A-team. There's no Jim Nance and Tony Romo going to be calling this one because, as you said, the Jets and Jaguars have been a big embarrassment. And the funny thing is, before the season began, a lot of people thought this could be an interesting matchup because you've got the top two picks in the draft going head-to-head, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. And I want to talk about that dynamic in a little bit. But first, Jordan... Let's touch on the absolute mess that's been going on in Jacksonville. I know people have read the articles, but you've been on the ground covering this. Tell us all about Urban Meyer and all the ways in which it went sideways, because this is remarkable. A lot of us thought that the Meyer hire was a mistake. A lot of us thought it wasn't going to work out. I don't think any of us thought it was going to end this way this fast. Yeah, I thought it was definitely a boom or bust proposition to begin with. Obviously, we know how how much he succeeded in college and then also flamed out at Florida and Ohio State for various reasons, some of which were certainly self-inflicted wounds there for Urban. But, you know, you have the excitement of Urban getting to work with Trevor Lawrence. Um, So there certainly was plenty of fan support for the move. Um, I thought that there had there was a chance for it to be successful. I also thought just like everyone else did, that there was a chance that it would blow up. Of course, no one expected it to blow up this 
this much this quick. Um, I think there was some things early on that certainly rubbed players the wrong way. Obviously, when you've got a, a large group of people from various backgrounds and cultures and races, and then you go hire Chris Doyle, who um, was fired from Iowa for, for uh, he was accused and it was substantiated of racist behavior and bullying behavior. You hire him. Of course, you have to figure that out and get rid of him after a couple days. He resigned, but we all know what happened there. And then you bring in Tim Tebow, another distraction. He clearly wasn't cut out for the tight end position. Now, maybe if he tried this 10 years ago when everyone wanted Tim Tebow to become a tight end, it could have had different results because he certainly did have an interesting athletic profile when he was a young man. But 33 years old, he didn't have a shot to transition to one of the more difficult positions in football with having to have the ability to block and catch. And uh, you just have to know a lot to be a quality tight end in the NFL. Um, So those two were big distractions. You had some staff members leaving before the season even started, which was obviously a red flag. And then um, I really think the straw that broke the camel's back here was the Cincinnati game week four Jaguars lose a heartbreaker. They were up the whole game and then they lost at the very end. Um, He decides not to fly back with the team. I think that was the biggest issue. Obviously it's not a good look for the leader of your organization to be hanging out at his bar, doing whatever he was doing uh, with the, with that lady. And then, um, I don't really care about that. Like morality isn't something that I think matters in football. Obviously he's not my friend. He's, he's not something like that. I don't care. Everybody's marriage is different, whatever. Um, The problem too, beyond just not flying back with the team, which is pretty much unheard of from every player I've ever heard talk about that situation. The fact that the first video came out and he kind of lied about what happened. And then the second video came out that showed him actually actively participating Uh, and whatever was going on there, which kind of painted him in a light that made him look like he was lying, obviously. I think that is when I lost faith, complete faith in Urban Meyer, and I think that's also when the team started to just kind of be like, what the hell is going on with this guy? And then the lying about the James Robinson benching was obviously another just incredible whiff by Urban Meyer, who seemingly just thought he was – Bigger than, bigger than getting fired by the Jacksonville Jaguars, which we've certainly found out he is not too big to get fired by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Shad Khan took care of that. As soon as the Josh Lambeau report came out uh, of Urban Meyer calling him a dip and also kicking him in the leg that was injured last year. So that's kind of a little timeline. There's a lot more that went into it, but those are the big heavy-hitting moments of failure throughout the urban Meyer tenure. And then you've got the fact that the team is awful. (laughs) They're two and 11. A lot of these players were handpicked by urban Meyer. Um, And uh, yeah, I don't know how it could have failed any more miserably. One other thing that urban Meyer did that I'm sure played a role in him getting fired and certainly played a role in him losing trust in the locker room 
was him berating the coaching staff, including Daryl Bevel, who is a seasoned offensive coordinator. He's the offensive coordinator of the Seattle Seahawks when they went to the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots. Now he takes over on an interim basis for Urban Meyer. Two questions on that. Number one, does he have any real chance to keep this job long term? And B, what are the Jets looking at in terms of coaching strategy? What have you seen from Bevel? I know it's only been one game so far, but what does his general strategy and philosophy seem to be? Well, um, I don't think Bevel has a shot, honestly. I think if there was going to be a case that started to be made for Daryl Bevel, it had to start with beating the Houston Texans, and he was unable to do that. So I think that's dead in the water. I think it wouldn't have happened regardless. But if you were going to start making a case for Bevel, you got to beat the Texans, right? Um, In regards to his coaching style, I think he's just obviously a lot more respectful of everyone in the building, which is a it's it's a good start. You know that shouldn't be the baseline for NFL head coaching. You should probably any coach that gets hired to be a head coach should be able to show respect to his employees his co-workers all that good stuff uh, which urban meyer was unable to do but bevel is doing that so that's obviously a step in the right direction in terms of what the team's going to look like nothing's changing on the defensive side of the ball that's still joe cullen and uh he's he's been pretty much autonomous on that side of the ball as the defensive coordinator but bevel's handing over the reins to the offense to brian schottenheimer who we haven't seen call plays this year So I'm not really sure what to expect this week, to be honest with you. I can tell you what to expect. A lot of pain. I'm somebody who's watched Brian Schottenheimer call a lot of plays. And believe me, it's not going to be good. Then again, I say this now, and I'm probably jinxing it because he'll end up calling the greatest game of his career on Sunday against the Jets. Maybe he's got revenge on his mind. Who knows? But I want to talk a little bit about Trevor Lawrence because that's who this all centers around when we talk about Schottenheimer and Daryl Bevel. This is a player who we all know many believe to be a generational quarterback prospect. You heard over and over again before the draft, best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. The Jets and the Jaguars were basically in a tank competition down the stretch of the season to see who was going to get Trevor Lawrence. And ultimately, he ended up on the Jacksonville Jaguars. A lot of us, including me, were very upset about that because we felt like the Jets went through this terrible season Adam Gase put us through all this misery, and then in the end, the Jets don't even get the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. They wind up with Zach Wilson at number two. We'll see how that turns out. So far, he struggled quite a bit, but I guess the silver lining at this point is that Trevor Lawrence has struggled a lot as well. He's leading the league in interceptions with 14. We saw that game a couple of weeks ago where he threw four picks and they were all pretty bad. His quarterback rating is below 70. His completion percentage is below 60. It has just not gone the way that many of us believed it would go early on for Trevor Lawrence. Now, that doesn't mean that Trevor Lawrence isn't going to be awesome. He still very well could be. But I'm sure that the fans in Jacksonville are disappointed with what they've seen so far. It would be hard not to be considering how high the expectations were. Yeah, certainly. And obviously, you know, looking at the box scores is not a, an, an effective way to, to kind of evaluate quarterbacks in this day and age. I think we can both agree on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the wins haven't been there. The big, the big, um, the big yardage totals and touchdowns haven't been there. Um, what Trevor Lawrence has struggled with just 
Trevor Lawrence, not the rest of the team. Um, he has been in pretty much every game. There's been three to five balls where it's just kind of like, if he could have just gotten that one a little bit more on the money, you might be working with something here. But to me, the bigger issue, and I think it's pretty easy to see, his receivers are horrendous. Uh, they cannot separate. They cannot catch the ball consistently. I mean, you had five drops in the last 17 minutes against the Texans. Uh, if you catch three or four of those passes, you might be looking at a different result because they were right in that game until the Brandon Cooks touchdown late. Um, so, yeah, the, there's very little in terms of playmakers on offense outside of James Robinson. Um, LaVisca Chenault, he'll have these fantastic moments where he's breaking tackles, um, you know, making plays on third and fourth down, but then he'll put the ball on the turf as much as anyone or probably more than anyone this year in terms of not being able to catch it. The offensive line, when you look at the sack totals, does, doesn't look bad, but I, I, I'm of the stance that sacks are a quarterback stat. Pressures mm -hmm. are an offensive line stat, mm -hmm. and they've been giving up pressures uh, like nobody's business, you know, outside of Cam Robinson, who's been pretty solid over the last six weeks. Andrew Norwell struggled recently at left guard. Ben Barch has not been great at right guard. Of course, those two guys have had to go up against some monsters, not last week, but the weeks prior to that, they had Jeffrey Simmons and Aaron Donald. So nobody's really going to be put in a great position against those two guys. And then at right tackle, Jawan Taylor has failed pretty miserably to develop in his third season. He's uh, not an effective pass protector, racks up the penalties, and he he's really not great in the run game either. So when you look at that, uh, the offensive line is not performing at the level it needs to to protect Trevor. The receivers are not performing at the level they need to. I don't think that Daryl Bevel had been doing a good job of consistently playing to the receiver's strengths or trying to overcome their weaknesses. He runs a lot of vertical route concepts. And when you have guys that can't separate and can't win contested catch situations, you're not going to have good results in these vertical concepts. Um, I think they'd be a lot better off using a lot more bunch formations, uh, motions, um, just getting guys open quickly, easily uh, by using picks and, you know, using the things that are built into what you can do in the NFL to get your receivers open when when they're struggling to get open on their on their own. So there's a lot going on around Trevor that's bad. What I've seen from Trevor that's good. Uh, he has never lost his composure really outside of against Tennessee, like you mentioned, the four-interception game. He started trying to play hero ball in the second half when things got really bad. Um, he was just making throws that were uncharacteristic of Trevor Lawrence. And so that was obviously disappointing. But other than that, in terms of what I've seen from him, his pocket presence and pocket movement is unbelievable. Like I said, he's getting pressured a ton, but he's not getting sacked all that much. That's a big credit to his presence, his ability to move in the pocket, just six inches here, six inches there, six inches to the right, to the left, up, down. And uh, I think that's a trait that a lot of quarterbacks really struggle with earlier in their career. Trevor Lawrence is good to go on that level. He still makes three 
three, four, five passes every game that just wow you. You're just amazed. And some of those passes sadly end up hitting the ground because of these re- receivers not being able to haul it in. But um, personally, I have very little concern for Trevor's long-term um, projection. I think he's still going to be a top 10 quarterback in this league sooner rather than later. And I think if you listen to a lot of the guys uh, outside of Jacksonville who do study quarterbacks, who do study the NFL, you'll hear the same exact story um, in terms of what they think Trevor can be long-term. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Jordan, let's dig in a little bit more on those weapons. You talked a little bit about LaVisca Chenault. He's sort of a Swiss Army knife, and as you said, inconsistent, but a guy that the Jets are certainly going to have to pay attention to on Sunday. Marvin Jones, another player who Urban Meyer had a run-in with, which is remarkable because from everything you hear, he's about as respected a locker room guy as you can get. He is the leading receiver on the team this year. He's a solid receiver, but when he's the best guy you got, as he said, not a great sign, but he is also another player that the Jets are certainly going to have to contend with. And then, of course, the big one is James Robinson, one of the best running backs in the league. Very effective catching the ball and especially running the ball, even though he got benched by Urban Meyer after that fumble and that caused that whole scene and everything that came with it with Urban Meyer later lying about the benching. Those seem to be the players that the Jets are really going to have to contend with on Sunday. Just how difficult on a scale of 1 to 10 do you think this is going to be? Because I know you said that the receivers have not been very good, but Jones and Chenault, when they're on their game, they can pose a problem for a secondary that's not all that great, which is exactly the situation they find themselves in against the Jets because the Jets' secondary is not the greatest, particularly at safety. And then James Robinson. Let's be honest about this. The Jets have been terrible against the run. They have the worst rushing defense in the entire league. They've been giving up all kinds of yards to running backs that are quite inferior to James Robinson. It just happened with Duke Johnson. The Dolphins had their first 100-yard rusher since December of last year, and it was the ghost of Duke Johnson. They've been getting crushed by teams all year when teams have gone to the run early and often. I assume James Robinson will play a huge role in the Jaguars' offense on Sunday. Tell me a little bit about what you expect there and what the Jets should try to do to clamp down on what the Jaguars do best, which, again, in this context, I would say is most likely just feeding the ball to James Robinson a ton. Oh, yeah, I agree with you 100%. The Jaguars are going to want to run the ball with James Robinson. They featured him heavily last week um, until the game kind of got out of hand a little bit in the fourth quarter. But he had 21 total touches last week. I think you could expect that number to maybe even rise this week as long as the game doesn't get out of hand in the Jets' favor. So, yeah, stopping him is tough. I mean, the interior of the offensive line and really the tackles as well – they haven't been performing at a high level in terms of run blocking lately. Normally they're a pretty good run blocking unit. They give James Robinson a little bit of room to work and he just needs a little clearing there for him to uh, find the hole and really exploit second level and third level defenders. He's not a burner by any stretch. He's not going to be breaking off 60, 70 yard runs on you. But he's really good at getting those runs in between 5 and 20 yards. He's not going to outrun the secondary, but he can certainly get to the secondary and then take a little while to bring down. Um, Excellent vision, contact balance, and uh, a good burst, but just not really the long speed 
that you look for in a home run hitter. But yeah, honestly, if I'm the Jets, you can't sell out too hard against the run because you have to have you have to have some balance. But yeah, you you need to stop James Robinson, and if you do that, I don't think you know. Now maybe this could be the game. There have been a few throughout the season, maybe a few as a stretch, a couple where Marvin Jones and LaVisca Chenault are both on. And if that's the case, sure, the Jaguars could do some stuff uh, through the air, but that just hasn't happened in quite a long time. I mean, they're averaging about 10 points per game over the last six weeks. So, yeah, I think you stop James Robinson and, and you're in business. That's much easier said than done, of course. James Robinson is a hell of a running back. But if you can, if you can stop him, you can stop the Jaguars for sure. Jordan, let's talk a little defense. Josh Allen and Dwayne Smoot have really been the heart of that Jacksonville pass rush. Both of them with over five sacks. Jets fans very familiar with Josh Allen because of the fact that a lot of fans wanted them to take him in the 2019 draft. He ends up in Jacksonville, and he hasn't been as good as some people thought he would be. Many thought that he could be one of the top pass rushers in the league, but he has been very good. Another solid season for him. Tyson Campbell, the rookie out of Georgia, has been pretty good. You take a look around as well at some of the other players like Miles Jack and Damian Wilson who are racking up the tackles at the linebacker spot. So there are some guys on this Jaguar defense who aren't half bad. Not going to say that this is the 1985 Bears, but there are some players that the Jets are going to have to contend with on Sunday. Talk to me about the strengths and weaknesses of this defense and what you expect to see. Yeah, generally speaking, the defense is very good against the run. They had a tough little stretch uh, a few weeks back, but they got back on track against the Texans, who you know, might be the worst rushing attack of all time. Uh, according to Texans media, not just myself, uh, that that's the vibe I got from uh, from the guys I spoke with last week. But yeah, I think the Jags defense they do have some talent up front. It's pretty much it's been very inconsistent in terms of pass rush. Sometimes you're able to generate it. Sometimes you're not. Joe Cullen does really like to blitz. Um, his ideal his ideal defensive scheme week in and week out would be. Man heavy, blitz heavy, 3-4. The problem is early on in the season, he's playing these man coverages and the defensive backs are just getting toasted. So he's gone to a little bit more zone, a little bit more too high shell um, in terms of trying to slow down these passing attacks. I think that has negatively impacted the run defense slightly. because you don't have as many guys in the box. Cullen believes that it it can even help you against the run, but obviously the results haven't been there. Um, So, yeah, Josh Allen, any given Sunday, he could be the best player on the field. Um, Dewan Smoot, I think, is best suited as a third edge rusher, not as starting edge rusher, but he's definitely had another quality season. And... um, on the interior, Roy Robertson Harris has done some good things past, uh, past pressure wise. Uh, Malcolm Brown had a really big game against the Texans. Miles Jack, he's one of the most talented linebackers in football. He doesn't always play like it. There's definitely some inconsistencies. I think he's a little bit miscast in a 3 4 defense. I think his ideal role in the NFL is a 4 3 will. 
um, which we've seen him play his best at when he's had the opportunity to do that. But yeah, they're going to be effective against the run for the most part. And then you look at uh, the secondary, the safety position is, is really a position of weakness right now. Andrew Wingard is a starter. He doesn't always play terrible, but um, he certainly doesn't help you much. And then Rayshon Jenkins just went down with an injury against the Texans. He's out for the year with a broken ankle. So you'll get Andre Sisco, who's the rookie third-round pick, the ball hawk out of Syracuse. Probably a lot of Jets fans know who he is. And um, you'll also get some Daniel Thomas, who's a second-year player out of Auburn, uh, filling in for Rayshon Jenkins. At cornerback, Shaquille Griffin, he's one of the bright spots of this team outside of week 15 against Houston when he had his worst game of the season. Perfect passer rating allowed in coverage. Um, just did not look himself last week. Um, so hopefully he can rebound for the Jaguars' sake. And then Tyson Campbell, the first pick of the second round in 2021, he's starting on the opposite side. He has really come on. He, he had a Beautiful interception last week, zone coverage. He just uh, jumped that route against uh, Jordan Akins really easily, read the quarterback's eyes the whole way. Should have had another one deep down the field in the end zone, one-on-one -on -one with Brandon Cooks, but he didn't get his head flipped around quick enough and the ball just kind of bounced off of his hands. Uh, but he's playing really well. He's been a bright spot considering he started the season playing some of the worst cornerback in the NFL, but he has really grown. They've gotten him in more zone situations where he can read the eyes of the quarterback, and I think he's much more effective in that type of scheme. And then uh, at nickel, you got Rudy Ford, who is a career special teamer with the Eagles. He's come over. He projected to be more of a safety and special teamer, but they've, they've inserted him at nickel, and that really helps them against the run and against some of the short passing game. But he can't cover downfield, so if you're looking for an area of the field to attack, I think if you can get Rudy Ford lined up against uh, some speedier receivers, that can really be a problem for the Jaguars' defense. Jordan, multi-part question here. If you were the Jets, how would you attack the Jaguars? What do you expect the Jaguars to do? And ultimately, what's your prediction for this game? You don't have to give me an exact score, but how do you think this is going to go? The problem with just saying, all right, let's not try to run the ball. The Jags are good against the run. Let's just air it out. If you go one-dimensional, Joe Cullen will eat you alive, even though the Jaguars are better against the run than the pass. You saw that against the Bills. The Jaguars held the Bills to six points because they just decided they weren't going to run the ball. And if you're one-dimensional against Joe Cullen, he's going he's gonna to have his way with you for the most part. So you got to be balanced to an extent. You can't just give up on the run. Um, honestly, the Jaguars defense and the Jaguars special teams can beat themselves uh, three or four games in the last month. You've seen them on early drives. They've forced a fourth down. And then on fourth down, special teams will uh, commit a penalty given the team the offense new life allowing them to go down and get some points. That's happened a lot lately. So that's something to watch out for. If you see that happen, you can remember hearing this from me and you'll be like, oh, there it is. Um, but yeah, I would have to say keep it balanced and attack the seams, attack the slot. Uh, Rudy Ford is not a great coverage guy. If you can get Damian Wilson, the middle linebacker, um, and one-on-one -on -one coverage, against any receiver or tight end, you probably got a mismatch there. So 
Yeah, and then you can also look at um, the the strong safety position where Rayshon Jenkins is no longer available. I do like what Andre Cisco has done throughout training camp preseason, and now that he's getting some reps on defense. Uh, but you know, there's a rookie that's inexperienced there, so you might want to try to target him and see what he can do, or, or or how how well he can you know jump into the starting lineup and just cover some of these guys despite not playing a ton throughout the season. So yeah, I'd attack the seams, I'd attack Rudy Ford, Damian Wilson, got to keep some balance to make sure Joe Cullen just doesn't go all in against stopping the pass. But uh, it's really, it's a defense that has given up points early in most games. And then at that point, it's tough to come back for this offense. That's so stagnant. Um, I know the Jets are favored by two and a half right now. I would take the Jets on that one. I mean, I took the Jags to beat the Texans, and they really they really fell flat. Uh, and uh, they've been better at home than on the road. They haven't run, won a road game since 2019. I just can't see the Jags coming away with a win in this one. I'd say they're, they'll score in the teens. Maybe we're looking at. 18, 13 Jets, something like that. 20 to 13 Jets. Interesting prediction because every time I say something like that, the Jets end up getting squashed like bugs. So we'll see what happens at MetLife Stadium on Sunday. Jordan, last question. Just because our teams are once again in the position where we're thinking about the draft. So let's talk about this very quickly. You do a lot of draft writing for Generation Jag. If the Jaguars end up picking ahead of the Jets, if they end up in the top two, everybody's been talking about the Jets hopefully landing either Aiden Hutchinson out of Michigan or Kayvon Thibodeau out of Oregon. Both guys are edge rushers. Any chance the Jaguars go in a different direction because they do have Josh Allen? Oh, yeah, I do think there's a chance. And... um this is a developing thing, right? The draft, it's constantly ebbing and flowing. There's guys mm-hmm. rising and falling. The more I watch Evan Neal and my guy T-Wig, who also covers the Jaguars here, Locked On Jaguars, he brought up a great point. And I've watched all these top guys pretty heavily. If Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau is lined up mano a mano with Evan Neal, who's winning? And I think that's a great point. I, did, I hadn't thought about it to that to to that extent. Just like if you're going to take these guys, who is going to win one-on-one if they face each other? I have a hard time seeing Evan Neal losing often. The offensive tackle from Alabama, 6'7", 350 or 360. Um, he's a mountain of a man, but he really moves well. Got great feet to mirror, got great hands. Really does not give up much in the way of uh, of quarterback pressures. So... I do think there's a chance maybe Evan Neal's the pick. And in that case, if the Jets end up in the top three, they would get their shot at Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau, both of whom I think are just going to be fantastic pros. Uh, For the Jets specifically, I think Aiden Hutchinson might be a better fit because Robert Salah's got the 4-3 defense. I think Aiden Hutchinson – makes a little more sense in that defense, although I think they can both play in a 3-4 or 4-3 with Thibodeau and Hutchinson. But I I lean Hutchinson a little bit more for the 4-3, Thibodeau a little bit more for the 3-4. So, yeah, it is possible. And, of course, 
The problem with that is if the Jets go get a W this weekend against the Jaguars, mm-hmm. they're sitting there with four wins, and I don't think they're going to get a shot at either of those guys if that's the case. Jordan DeLugo of Generation Jag, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Go check out everything Jordan's doing. Follow him on Twitter at Jordan DeLugo. That's D E L U G O. Also, check out his writing at Generation Jag. Check out everything we're doing at playlikeajet.com and the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel. Luke Grant's got a brand new All 22 video up breaking down Zach Wilson's performance from last Sunday against the Miami Dolphins. Did a lot better than most people are giving him credit for. If you want to see the full breakdown, it's up on our YouTube channel right now. Watch the video and subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. Also, check out our store at tpublic.com. That's T-E-E-Public.com. We've got the Zach Wilson, Zach Says Go Long shirt, the Zach the Ripper shirt, the Bless You, Thank You, Quinn and Williams, John Franklin Myers shirt, the Play Like a Jet logo shirt, mugs, hoodies, hats. It's all there. tpublic.com. That's T-E-E-Public.com. And make sure you give us a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes if you haven't done that already. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and PlayLikeAJet.com.